Hello, welcome to Working Girl Talk. I'm your host, Abby Zufelt. Working Girl Talk is the podcast for working girls, working women. And each episode dives into weekly headlines that you need to know about to take on the workday. We dive into inspiring interviews and specific tips and tricks from working women making an impact. And at the end of the episode, we always dive into my Friday favorite of the week, a product, a platform, a food, something that is good that you guys need to know about. So that is a brief rundown of the show. We're starting off with that today. So it's episode 60. So in case we have any new listeners here, that's a brief rundown of the show. So thank you so, so much for joining me today. Like I said, it is episode 60, another milestone. So fun. And with that, I have one announcement. So if you've been watching on my Instagram stories, you have seen that I am working on the Working Girl Talk website. It's been a long time coming. As you know, I am a fellow working girl along with you. This uh, like Working Girl Talk is my other job outside of my like regular nine to five job. So I have been working on the website. It's been a slow process, but it is, it is a fun process. And I am so excited to show you guys the website and to just show you all the cool features that we'll have on it and all the content. And it's going to be so pretty. I'm just very excited for you guys to see it. Before we dive into this week's headlines, just a reminder, If you listen to Working Girl Talk on a weekly basis and you are a fan of the show, make sure to leave a review if you haven't yet because reviews just help Working Girl Talk get seen by more working women out there. And if you haven't lately, if an episode has inspired you and especially today's with Gina, I'm so excited, copy the link to the episode and share with a friend. So just that little reminder that reviews keep the show going. As you know, I've talked about before, reviews are really like the support system of a podcast so we love to see them and it helps podcasts rank and all that good stuff moving on to this week's headlines real quick so search engine journal reported this week that pinterest is introducing a new ranking model to its home feed in its algorithm so it's in an effort to surface certain types of content more often so traditionally pinterest ranked content in the home feed using click-through prediction models so if a user was more likely to click on it based on past activity that would be in your home feed so uh, that's effective for maximizing user engagement the article goes on to say but it's not the best model for surfacing a variety of content types so if you never click on videos you will never see any videos so they wanted to solve this problem so now they've introduced a real-time ranking system for its home feed call quote a controllable distribution, not the most fun name, but we'll go with it. So Pinterest will use its click-through prediction model to find relevant content, and then it will apply the controllable distribution to, to diversify the types of content being displayed. Search Engine Journal went on to say, for example, controllable distribution could be used to specify that 4% of users' home feeds should contain video content. So basically, they're just trying to diversify your feed a little more and this is their way of doing it. So the advice from Search Engine Journal, which typically I kind of like make my own assumptions and share that with you, but I really liked their advice. They said for because they are because their Pinterest is diversifying the types of content people see, if you want more opportunities to show up in people's feeds, diversify your content. So if you only publish photos, consider adding videos and GIFs so you end up being in that little random section that they're going to start showing people. So just thought it was something interesting. If you are a Pinterest user in any aspect, good to know. 
Next story, so CNBC reported that DoorDash is partnering with Walgreens to deliver over-the-counter drugs and other health products. DoorDash announced a partnership this week with Walgreens Boots Alliance to deliver over-the-counter medication and other products from the drugstore chain. So the service is first launching in Chicago, Atlanta, and Denver areas with plans to expand to other markets throughout the summer. The DoorDash CEO, his name is Christopher Payne, he told CNBC that the company continues to grow its delivery offerings outside of restaurants as a result of the coronavirus pandemic. So another way to for delivery to get people what they need so people don't have to leave their houses. Delivery is really popping these days. That is definitely, I would say, like a theme of 2020 is people are, it's like, can I get that delivered? And now you can for health products at Walgreens. And last update of the week, because last week was a deep dive into the TikTok drama and what's going on there, I thought I'd do a little bit of a follow-up. So Wells Fargo this week has instructed employees who installed TikTok on company devices to remove the app over privacy concerns, as first reported by The Information and then later reported by The Verge, which is where I found this. So Wells Fargo has instructed employees to delete this on company devices. Along with that, I wanted to report on another little tidbit to keep your eyes on. So Social Media Today reported that last week, Byte, which is very similar to Vine, if you guys remember Vine, saw a massive surge in downloads in the U.S., even reaching the top spot on the App Store on Thursday last week, which is something that I had talked about a little bit last week so a little bit of background on byte byte is the six second looping video app that was released to all users back in january so byte actually did reach 1.3 million downloads in its first week after its full launch but it definitely didn't gain the full traction and momentum that tiktok has especially since tiktok has really exploded during these covid19 lockdowns but social media today a lot of other experts and even i think this is probably happening that tiktok influencers and these people that are getting meteoric fame and this rise on tiktok are getting a little nervous and are looking to diversify their digital presence and even if you're not a major influencer on tiktok people that use the app may be feeling that way too so that could explain why this bite increase is happening so just something to think about and keep your eyes on again we do not know the future of tiktok there is nothing set in stone at all and if you are on social media honestly things don't feel much different like tiktok is still rolling people are still sharing tiktok videos on other social media apps it's still very popular so nothing set in stone last week's episode was definitely just to kind of give you the scoop on what's going on but definitely no choices have been made yet as as i'm reporting this right now and byte could potentially be a competitor no matter what happens to tiktok i mean social media apps are always trying and sometimes failing to make a resurgence or a resurgence at all so bite could just be one of those no matter what happens to tiktok so very very interesting and also if you are somebody that wants to be an early adopter bite may be something you want to look into i mean we don't know the future of it but it doesn't hurt and now i am so excited to share this interview with you gina radke is today's guest and she is so cool Before I dive into the interview, I want to share a little bit about Gina from her bio. Gina Radke has been navigating the business world for over 20 years as a successful business owner, entrepreneur, investor, and economic influencer. Owner and CEO of an aerospace manufacturing company, Gina uses her international business experience to serve as an international trade advisor to the U.S. Congress 
Gina is a speaker and a coach who has mentored entrepreneurs from across the globe and is well known for her involvement in community service and empowering others with economic opportunities. And she is also an author of the book called More Than. She is just awesome. So I am super excited for you to hear this conversation. It, we dive into a lot of different areas. And with that, welcome Gina to the show. We're so excited to have Gina Radke on the show today. Welcome, Gina, to Working Girl Talk. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. To start us off, can you give us just like a brief intro of who you are and what you do? And then we'll dive into the deep stuff after. Well, I am a female CEO and owner of an aerospace manufacturing and design company. I also have written a book, um, More Than, How to Be Bold and Balanced in Life and Business, I serve as an international trade advisor to the U.S. Congress, and I'm very involved in community service and have multiple investment groups on a real estate company, a media company, another manufacturing organization. So um, I guess you would say I'm, I'm the serial entrepreneur. I always hear that, but I never really assign myself that. Actually, in general, I say my husband is the serial entrepreneur and I'm the serial CEO. So I tend to come in and run businesses that other people start. So... <laughs> That is awesome. Wow. Like what a resume. That is super cool. So I want to dive a little bit back into the show. And if you listen to the show before everyone, you know, we kind of go back into how it all started. So I want to hear, did you ever picture yourself getting into aerospace manufacturing and into this industry? How does something like that come about? Yeah, not at all. Um, it was <laughs> not in my plans. I was a radio DJ um, when I was younger and my husband was in the Air Force. And so we moved and actually, you know, quite a few times. And then we sold our house and we decided that neither one of us wanted to work for someone else. So we began to look into business opportunities. And it's kind of the funny thing is we looked into a Papa John's pizza franchise, tropical smoothie, a gym. And then um, actually it was a family member that said, hey, there's this family business and it's going, it's not doing so great. And why don't you guys look into that? So we looked into the business and then chose to purchase it. We moved it actually from Southern California, right outside of LA to um, Arkansas. And that's sort of where it began. And I always tell everybody that, you know, we ran our business on the two G's, you know, Google and God, lots of Googling <laughs> and lots of prayer. Um, and so that's how we learned. And that's how um, I became, you know, this, who I am today was just started by taking a chance and, and figuring it out as I went. What did you think your path was going to look like? I actually have a degree in social psychology. So I wanted to be a therapist for um, underprivileged children. And um, which I, I see that now in a lot of my community work. I work with an organization called Immerse and it's for children our youth who've turned 18 and they aged out of the foster care system without ever getting adopted. And so um, I volunteer with them a lot, but that was actually where I was going, where I, what I wanted to do. And um, it's come in very, very handy as a CEO. I can relate to people on a very human level and not just, this is the finances, this is the process. So it's been very good, um, a very good background to have. Um, as far as running a company and, and, you know, and dealing with leadership and being, uh, in my opinion, I, I would like to think I'm a good leader, you know, being a good leader to my staff. Very cool. Yeah. I'm sure that comes in handy because you're dealing with so many different personalities in the workplace. So that, what is that? Like the social intelligence, like in, emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence. Yeah. yeah I'm yes, sure that comes yes. in handy. 
It does. I talk about that in my book about emotional intelligence and how important it is to have that. Yes. And I want to dive into a little bit how the transition was for you. So, and I know something you talk about a lot is women needing to know that they can get into this industry because sometimes they don't think they can because it is more male dominated. So how was that for you? Like, did you have to kind of like psych yourself up a little bit to kind of handle those meetings where maybe you were the only woman in the room? And how did you handle that? Yeah. When I first started, it was a huge kind of intimidation factor. You know, I would come in, of course, be the only woman in the room. A lot of the times I was dismissed. You know, they thought I was the assistant. They thought, you know, I was just there to take notes. And so I would kind of have to psych myself up and, and remind myself. And I talk about, again, talk about this in my book, um, going through the inventory of everything that I had accomplished to be there. You know, even if it was just, I learned how to run a, a manufacturing machine off of YouTube from nothing, you know, I could do that. And so I began to say, these people don't know whether I'm qualified to be here or not. They're going to assume I'm not. And I actually kind of use that to my advantage sometimes. Um, I would go in with them having the assumption that I don't know, you know, what I'm talking about. And it allowed them to open up and be freer with me with the information that I needed because they didn't have sort of the bravado of, well, I have to outsmart this person. They just kind of thought, well, she doesn't know anything. So I'm going to be free with this information. And, and I learned so much that way as well. And even as I became more successful in life and sit on, I sit on multiple different boards for companies and for state organizations. And even in that sense, sometimes I'll go in and I'll think, oh gosh, you know, all of these, just be totally honest, a lot of these men are like my father's age, some even my grandfather's age. And here I am sitting with them and I have to remind myself and go through that inventory of what I have done and what I have accomplished to be in that room, which reminds me that I have the exact same um, privilege and the exact same expectations to be treated like I'm supposed to be in that room because I belong in that room just as much as they do. So that has been, the inventory has been a huge thing for me. And even, I'm telling you, even if it's, you know what, I finished high school and I went to college. I overcame this. I, I took this summer job and I did this. And and all the little things that we can go through and say, these are the things that I've accomplished that reminds us that you have every right to be in that room. And I think that's such a good mindset to have for any situation, for even not like in those like long-term moments, but even something if you're preparing for like a presentation or mm -hmm. a pitch, like I think we kind of get in our head a little bit, like I don't deserve yeah. to be here. And I know like imposter syndrome is like a big buzzword right now. And yes. I think that plays a lot into it as well. It does. That's, again, like I, I keep saying, you know, what I talked about in my book, but I did, I talked about imposter syndrome and how that creeps in on everybody. And I actually tell the story about, I was going to speak on a panel. I was the only female. I was, I mean, at minimum 20 years younger than everyone else speaking. And I went into the bathroom stall and assumed this Wonder Woman position where I stood with my, you know, hands on my hips and kind of that confidence and and just thought, okay, these, this is why you deserve to be here. This is everything that you've accomplished. And even if they have invited you here as the token woman, you still have the experience. And now is your opportunity to show other women in the room that this can be done. And one day they can be sitting on the stage. And so I just sort of had to, you know, remind myself that I'm not here as a fluke, you know, and kind of get over that imposter syndrome and just take that position 
even the physical position of, you know, standing in Superwoman, Wonder Woman, whatever Shiro that you think of and getting in there and doing that and going, okay, I deserve to be here. And I think that's one of the scariest things um, in my life sometimes is how that imposter syndrome sneaks in. And I go, well, you know, what did I do to deserve this that other people didn't? Or why am I here and they're not? Or everyone's going to find out I'm a fraud. And it's like, everyone feels that way. You know, everyone does. So I just have to remember that just because, you know, there's a man sitting next to me who may be in his 60s, who may have, you know, twice my experience in this, he still every once in a while thinks, why am I here? You know, these people are going to figure out I'm a fraud. And that that puts us on the same playing field to, to really know that everyone deals with imposter syndrome. Totally. I love that. And love a good power pose. Yeah. <laughs> actually really help. It's crazy. <laughs> it, they do. That physical pose helps. It really does. That's awesome. I liked that you mentioned relying on Google and God in the beginning mm-hmm. because it's like learning a whole industry. So can you talk about that a little bit? Because I know sometimes people are put into different positions in their job that, oh, I don't know anything about this or diving into a new industry. How did you like learn the ropes, like any specifics or tips for somebody diving into a new industry? Ask all the questions. I mean, all of them. And then when you've asked all the questions you know to ask, literally look at someone and say, what questions am I not asking that I should be asking? And I speak on that often when I talk to people, it's, so important because when we don't ask that question and when we don't ask questions in general, we leave so much knowledge on the table and knowledge is, I mean, knowledge is money, knowledge is power. So we need to know. So I just asked every question I could possibly think. I was like, you know, can you walk me through this? Can you talk me through this? Tell me about this. How did you learn about this? What are the resources I need? And so I began to just dive into every resource I could find. I mean, I sort of became famous at our state for calling and saying, do you have free classes on this? Do you have money, you know, grants for this? And as a matter of fact, one time I called and someone said, you know, Gina something. And I heard someone in the background say, if that's Gina Radke, tell her we don't have any money for her. And I just kind of laughed and I said, well, I'm actually calling about something else. I said, but if you do have any grants or free classes open, I want to be involved. And so it really became about putting myself out there. And I think that was one, again, and I talked about one of my superpowers was the fact that no one assumed that I would know anything. So they were so grateful to give me all of the information that they could. And I think in general, people want to be helpful. You know, there's, you're going to get the answers because of one of two things. One, because people actually want to be helpful or two, because people like to sound like the smartest person in the room. So they want to tell you, you know, that e- that feeds their ego. So they want to tell you everything that they know. And I just took all of that knowledge and used it on a day-to-day basis. And what wasn't good knowledge, I said, well, that didn't work. I'm not going to do that again. And so I just began to ask every question I could, not be ashamed of asking questions. I mean, one of the things, even today where I am in my life, is there's a saying that says nothing brings fear of failure like success. So I have been successful in my life. And if I look at something and go, gosh, what if I fail at that? And then everyone thinks, oh, she's a fraud or, oh, look, she got too big for her pants. And now she thinks she's something and she failed. Well, I have to get rid of that. And I have to go, hey, let me ask you these questions. How do I do this? Tell me how to do this. And so I, at this time in my life, I, I, call it my accidental side hustle. I do some coaching for business owners. And that sort of came about people, you know, I talk about asking questions and people would call all the time and say, Hey, you know, will you talk to me on this? Will you mentor me? And I had to actually start charging or else I would spend all of my time giving away free knowledge. 
And so when I started to charge, it sort of, you know, separated the people who really wanted to know and to be successful from those who just sort of wanted to ask questions. And I, even though I coach, I still have a coach. I still have someone who's been doing this longer than I have. So it's all about asking questions and what can I do? And that's actually how I became a radio DJ at 18 years old was I saw there was a popular DJ in our state and he was at an event and I said, Hey, I want to go into radio. What do I do? How do I, how do I do this? Do I need to go to college? Do I need to get a degree? You know, what do I do? And he was like, actually, we're hiring for a mascot. And I was just like, uh, okay. And so I, the very first thing I did was I became B98.5's B. I wore a giant B costume, but that was my break into the industry. And then, and that all came from me asking the question, what do I do? And I loved it. Actually, I made a ton of money in that costume and, you know, and got into radio and was trained by some of the best around. That's awesome. I love that because there's that quote, like the answers always know if you never ask. And I, I love that. Like sometimes you just have to like, Hey, start from where you can start in the B costume, make your way up and cause you have to get in somewhere. So I think we all have that evolution. Yeah. And no doesn't hurt. You know, I think that's what people are afraid of. You're afraid to hear no, but I tell you, right. The word, they're not going to take your birthday. They're not going to kill you. You'll be fine. You know, I mean, just ask. There's no embarrassment because here's the thing is if you get embarrassed about that, they are not thinking twice about that. If they said no and they moved on, they are not thinking twice about you. And you just have to remember, they just said no. So I'm just going to go ask someone else, you know, just Mm -hmm. keep asking until you get the knowledge that you need. I love that. I love that. I think that's such a great mindset to have. What would you say is the biggest misconception about your industry? That it's all boys, that it's a boys club Um, and that women can't do the job or that they didn't want to do the job. Um, I, that's the biggest misconception. There is a place for women. Companies are, they want to hire women. Um, and so that is the biggest misconception. And I think that, and also the other one is that you have to be a a tomboy to work in the industry. If you are a woman who works in manufacturing, whether it's engineering, being an inventor, working on a machine, that you have to be a tomboy. And that's, that's not accurate. I'm very feminine. Um, and I enjoy, I mean, I, I don't wear heels on the floor, obviously when I'm running a machine, but on my day to day, I'm in a dress and heels and I enjoy it. And I enjoy seeing things being made. I enjoy having an idea and seeing it come to life and I'm going on an airplane. And so I think that if you enjoy that, if you enjoy fixing things, if you enjoy designing things, go into manufacturing. It's an amazing industry. I mean, that needs every type of person whether you're process driven or you enjoy quality. Um, it's a great industry. It pays well. And it's one that really, I think the other misconception is that it's a dying industry and it's not, it's not the 1970s, um, dirty, ugly industry that people think of. There's actually a, a commercial and I think it's for the university of Phoenix and it's a cartoon and it shows a woman working on um, these old machines and then one by one, they go away and new um, robots come in and take her place. And then she goes, of course, to the University of Phoenix and she's got her Rosie Riveter poster and she changes, we can do it to we can do IT. And they came so close, but what would have been better is if they would have had her back in the manufacturing company programming the robots, because that's what manufacturing is today. It's programming those robots. You know, we wear white lab coats on the floor. 
where it's not gray and dirty and you're, you know, you're getting dust and machine oil all over you. Everything's closed. I mean, it's, it's basically, um, it's manufacturing in by robots that humans are programming. And so I think that's the other um, misconception. I love that. And honestly, right there, that's like exactly why I started this podcast to show women like different things that they can do. And a lot of my listeners are in that cusp of heading into college and heading into the working world. So I love that. Like, this is a great thing for them to hear because I, everything you said, I was like, Oh, I didn't know that. So, yeah, and I'm sure a lot of other women don't know that either. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, I mean, it's a great industry to be in and you know, there are, in the 15 years that I've been in it, I have seen huge leaps moving forward. And, um, you know, I've made a lot of male allies and they have been spokespeople for me. And I've seen a lot of um, things change. And so, but I mean, the actual manufacturing is, it's not dirty. It's not nasty. You know, you can have your nails done and still do it. It's fine. I also want to dive into your role as CEO. So you're managing a company, all these employees. What has been like the biggest learning lesson for you? Like something you were like, oh, like I did that wrong or oh, that I messed up here. Like what has been the biggest learning lesson that you would tell past you? Yeah. Oh, so many, so many. <laughs> um, one, of, one of the ones, I always say that I lost my best employee because I was not paying attention to the fact that no one is going to love your business like you are, and you really can't expect them to. And um, I had a guy who's a great employee, but I one day he called, and I happened to be on speakerphone, and they were like, oh, he can't do this because he's got something else going on. And I was just like, of course he does. And that was so, it was rude of me. It wasn't considerate of me. I wasn't thinking about the fact that he needs to be taking care of his family as well. I was thinking about the fact that you need to get in here and you need to be working as hard as I am. And so knowing that no one is going to take care of it and love it as much as I do is one of the things that I had to learn and that I can't expect that of others because even though they're getting paid to do a job, they're not going to have the same rewards that I'm going to have in the future from the business. And so I had to think about um, how I'm treating people in that instant. And so that was one big one. And then the other one was that learning different leadership styles, different people need different leadership styles. I tell everybody, you know, I learned how to run my business on Google and God. And then I'm like, well, go figure it out, go Google it. And there are some people who are just not cut out to do that. And they don't like that. And I actually did a, um, I'm very big into self-awareness. And so a couple years into running the company, I did a 360 evaluation of myself. And I asked people and one of the comments I got, they said, we don't know what the opposite of a micromanager is, but that's what you are. And they were like, it would be helpful if you gave us some more instruction and not just go figure it out. And just because I'm the type that, you know, that's what I do. I've got that sort of tenacity to just go figure it out doesn't mean that that's how everyone is hardwired. And it also doesn't mean that that's the best thing for different, different departments within my organization. I can't tell my production guys or my quality guys really just go figure it out because that's not how that works. There's national standards that they have to uphold. And so that was a big learning, um, a learning curve for me too, is learning that not everyone is that free spirit where, hey, you just go and figure it out learning that some people really need um, closer instruction and that that's a good thing, that we need those type of people. We need the ones who will just figure it out and say, hey, I just figured this out because I thought of it on my own or I Googled it 
And we need the ones that will say, I checked all the boxes, I crossed the T's and I dotted the I's. You need all of those different types of people in your organization. Love that. And I like that you said different leadership styles, because I think sometimes I hear people like, oh, I need to find my one leadership style right. and like stick to that. But I like that you said that because everyone is different. And I've actually never heard that before. I always yeah. hear people just say, oh, here's my one management style. Right. Well, I think if you say I have one management style, then you're expecting everyone to adapt to you. And I mean, I could have the ego and say, well, I'm the owner of the company. I'm the CEO. You all adapt to me, but that's not going to make me have a good team. That's not going to make my people feel valued. And so I need to adapt my leadership style as much as I can to how others learn and how others need to be led. Probably 10 years into the business, I basically told my husband, I said, listen, I've taken this business as far as I can. Like I either need to get, gain more knowledge or I need to build a team. And so I went and gained more knowledge and I also built a team. And that team has different leadership styles and they can work with people on different aspects. And I could duplicate myself. You know, I spend 80% of my time with that team and I'm like duplicating myself. I tell them to duplicate themselves. I said, you know, you want to work yourself out of a job. You want to work yourself to the next position in our company. And so that allows them to go and it just sort of spreads instead of me having to own everything. I love that. And I think that's a great, another great segue. You're, you're ahead of me here uh, to my next question. I wanted to talk about employee motivation and engagement and how you've uh, improved that and seen like success in that. Cause I know a lot of people struggle with that when you do get a bigger company because companies do grow and then you're trying to figure out how to keep employees engaged. So um, anything that you've learned along the way, um, tips or insight on employee motivation? Yes. Not only does not everyone have the same uh, work style and leadership style that they uh, can learn from, but also people do not understand. They don't get motivated the same. Used to, I, I'm a big gift giver. And so I would go and buy little things and, you know, give them to my, all my employees. And I remember I always had this one employee that was just sort of like, yeah, whatever. And it always bothered me. I was like, I took my time and my money and my thought to do this for you and you don't even care. And so actually one of the things I did, there's a book and it's called the five love languages and it's actually for marriages. And my husband and I had done it and it made a huge difference in our marriage. So I took that um, survey, that test that you take to find out your love language. And I changed it a little bit and called it, you know, the appreciation language. And so now every new employee we have that comes on board, they take the test. And then that information is given to HR, it's given to me, and it's given to their manager. So if someone is a quality time person, then I go down and sit with them and talk with them. You know, I'm like, hey, you're doing a great job. What are you working on? And I spend time with them to do that. If someone is a gift person, I'm like, hey, here's a gift card. You know, it's a $20 gift card to Starbucks. I just want to say thank you. And then if someone is, um, the one thing that we don't do is touch just because I don't want to get reported to HR. I'm always like, hey, you know, let me get this bump. There we go. Um, but if they are, you know, words of encouragement or words of affirmation, one of the biggest things with those guys is we will recognize them in front of the entire company, in front of the entire staff. And I mean, you would be amazed with those type of people, just how if you say one or two words about how great they're doing, we're like, hey, David's doing amazing in our CNC department at an all-call meeting. I mean, he'll live off that for a week, you know, and motivate him. And so learning how people um, need to be motivated and how they need to receive, and not love, but appreciation in our business has made a 
huge difference in motivating our staff. That is awesome. I love that. And are you gift giving? Is that your love? I am acts of service and gift giving. So my poor husband, he has the worst. Like I'm like, wash the dishes and buy me something. And he's physical touch and words of affirmation. So I can just like touch his face and be like, you're so hot. And he's like, yeah. So I got the easy end of the deal on that one. That's awesome. What has been like the biggest moment of your career? You'd say like your proudest achievement. Yeah, I've had some pretty awesome ones. I think a lot of, like the biggest public one would be when um, we we actually won um, Arkansas Business Persons of the Year by the um, SBA. And so we got to go to DC and meet Mark Cuban and he presented our award for Business Person of the Year. And I met amazing people then. That was a really big deal. But honestly, I think looking out, so my office sits up and it used to look out over a beautiful field and I was really sad that we had to take the field out and put a parking lot in. But seeing that parking lot full of cars is probably one of the proudest things because I know that we are giving people economic opportunities. We're giving people jobs. We're giving people the opportunity to advance economically um, and hopefully for some people change their families for generations. One of the things that we do is we have, we have two different types of employees. We have um, sort of the normal employee who has gone through school and who knows how to do the job. And then we hire people. We have higher felons. We hire people out of um, drug rehab programs, out of the foster care system who need that chance. And so then we have our um, sort of baseline employees mentor those other employees and seeing that happen, seeing the growth in people, both the ones who have MBAs and the ones who just have GEDs is amazing. And so that is probably my proudest thing is, is to be able to watch those relationships bloom and people become more aware of people that are in different um, cultures within the U.S. from them. Because if you come from you know, poverty, that's a different culture than someone who was raised in privilege. And so seeing them have sort of those aha moments and like I spoke about male allies, becoming aware that and then just seeing that parking lot full and knowing that we're giving people jobs um, and economic freedom and advancement is really, that's probably the biggest and proudest thing. That's awesome. Man, that like, that like really touches me. I love that. I want to talk about the book. So how did that come about? Let's hear the process of that. Um, actually, I'm not a writer. I had no intention of writing a book. And I just kept thinking, man, I did not have a female mentor coming up. And some of the male mentors that I would say, hey, you know, will you be my mentor? I had one guy that was like, yeah. And he shows up at like, let's have dinner at seven. And I'm like, okay, my husband and I will meet you and your wife. And that's not what I meant. Um, and so I just really started thinking, I'd been doing mentoring and been doing um, business coaching for a while at that point. And I keep saying, you know, I say the same thing over and over. So at first I thought, I'm just going to write a book for entrepreneurs, period. Not for women, just entrepreneurs. And as I began to write, like going back to the getting capital, I would say, well, if you're a woman, you may have to deal with this, this, and this, and here's your tips to overcome it. And if you're, you know, and so finally I was just like, man, I was talking to my husband about it. And he said, just write a book for women. I said, I don't want to do that. I don't want to write a book for women. And he goes, just write a book for women, get it out of your system, and then write the next one. So I was like, well, good idea. So I wrote the book for women and um, it took off. I mean, I was just really amazed at, we sold out twice. It's in its third printing now. Um, and I just, when I would speak, people would just, I mean, buy the book up and they'd go, oh, we've dealt with this. And 
one of the things I got recently was someone sent an email and they said when they were reading the introduction, they began to just cry. And they said, I was literally in tears. And I'm like, well, kind of like what happened there? And she said, after I began to cry, I realized why I was crying. She said, it was because I felt like I wasn't alone. She said, so many times I, in my career, I felt like I've been alone. And so when I feel like I don't feel alone, it's almost overwhelming. And that was really, I mean, that was it. I was like, that was worth everything. That was worth writing the book because that's what I wanted women to know is that you're not alone. Um, and not only are you not alone, like here are tips to overcome the things that we have to deal with. And so that's, it really just sort of flowed out of me. I mean, I hear people say, oh, it took me four years to write the book. And they're like, how long did it take you? And I'm like, six months, um, you know? And I'm just like, and it, it's not because I'm a great writer. There's tons of typos. I mean, and you know, I haven't had five editors and there's still typos. And, but it was just like, it just needed to be said and it needed to come out. And so it just really flowed into um, what it is today. I love it. And then along with that, because the book is about being bold and balanced, mm -hmm. before we head into rapid fire, I want to hear a tip for being bold and a tip for being balanced. Okay. So my first tip for being bold is actually kind of a strange one, but it's get your money right. Uh, because if you have your finances in order, you can be bold enough to walk into your boss and say, I either need a raise or I may, I'm going to another company. And that, because you know that you've got enough money to handle you, you know, to keep you going until you find another job. So that allows you to be bold. It builds that confidence. Um, and as far as being balanced, did you ask me that? I look, I go straight yes. into bold and balanced. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, as far as being balanced, I always tell everybody to quit doing things you don't want to do. That, you know, for balance, it's you take some, you give some, you know, you move the scales. And that's not always possible. I mean, harmony is really more important than balance, but balance is sort of the buzzword. And so I tell everybody, though, the first thing you do to be balanced is you got to quit doing stuff you don't want to do. I didn't want to be a member of the PTA. I think it's an amazing organization and people need to be a member of it. It was not for me. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to quit doing that. I'm going to quit doing all of these things, even with my kids. I said, you can't have six different activities. You pick one. I'm not going to run around and take you to every different activity that you just sort of like. And so I quit doing things that I did not want to do. And it made this huge difference in my life. It was just so much freedom. And honestly, that freedom allowed me, yes, to be more balanced, but it also allowed me to be more bold because I was very, I knew what I wanted. Um, I was very focused on this is what I want and this is what I don't want. And knowing that allows you to be both bold and balanced. Awesome. Love it. And then because of that, I feel like we, I need to ask you about this. Mm -hmm. My listeners know I do a little like questionnaire to learn more about the person before the interview. And something that you said was finding freedom in ourselves is something that you're really passionate about. Finding freedom in yourself. Is that something that you had to learn how to do? Because when I read that, I'm like, I don't know if enough people are talking about that. And I don't know mm -hmm. if they, they don't even realize that maybe they're not as free. Yes. Yeah. And I didn't realize I wasn't as free in all honesty. And that's sort of where the quitting things, you know, and I was like, why am I even doing this? Well, I'm doing this because that's what a good mom does, or that's what a good woman does, or that's what a good business owner does. And I'm like, I don't want to do those things. And it's not bringing me any profitability in any area of my life. So, um, having the freedom to go, I don't want to do that. And having the freedom to say, I am not going to fit into a certain box. 
Um, I think, I honestly think with this pandemic that we're going to see a lot more of that because we see people in their homes more. People are going live on, you know, social media more. They're showing more of themselves. Whereas like myself for a long time, I thought, you know, I don't want to show my business associates that I'm goofy and that I'm funny and I, you know, do silly things because then I think that they'll look at me and go, oh, well, she's not really a good businesswoman then. And I'm like, no, I am. I'm a great businesswoman and I'm funny on the other side, you know? And so be, having that freedom to just be who you are and not compartmentalize yourself and go at work, I'm this person, at home, I'm this person, with my friends, I'm this person, to make all those people one. Um, because it just takes so much time and energy and it's just exhausting to try to be something for every different avenue of your life. And so I'm like, you know what? I'm going to be who I am. And, I, and I'm gaining more freedom in that every day. I remember one time I was doing like this kind of commercial for our company and we were like, you know, do you want to come to a company? And I used the term love. And I said, you know, because they were interviewing me and I said, we truly love our employees. And they were like, you can't say love. That's not appropriate in a business sense. And I was like, no, I'm going to say it anyway. I said, because that's it. I was like, I can't figure out a better word. And that's what it is. We love our employees. We love their, um, their families. And I'm going to use that word because that's who I am. So I think that, I think you're right. I think people don't know that they're holding back on certain things. Um, and one of the reasons the book is, named, is called More Than is because people be like, well, you know, you're a lot. You're a little, you know, excessive or you're a little much. And I'm like, yeah, because I'm more than a mom. I'm more than a businesswoman. I'm more than a wife. I'm all of those things together um, in so many things. But it was just like, no, I'm more than that. And I want the freedom to be more than. I want the freedom to be who I am in every situation. I love that. I think that will really motivate and get some people thinking when they hear that. We're going to head into the rapid fire round. Okay, let's do this. First one. First thing I do in the morning. Oh, this is so bad. The first thing I do in the morning is probably just check social media. Um, yeah. So it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. But I that's feel yeah. The first thing I do. Yeah. I and then I always get onto myself. I'm like, no. And then I put it down. I'm like, okay, I'm grateful for these things. But yeah, I reach for that phone and I shouldn't. My first job was. My very first job, I was actually a um, waitress at my mother's restaurant. My mother decided to open a restaurant. So I always called her midlife crisis and she had one for about five years and I was the worst waitress in the world. I had seen some TV show or something where the waitress was really rude and that was sort of her thing. And so I tried that. Turns out that does not work in real life. Success is blank. I would say success is happiness. If you are able to do what you want to do and not have to rely on others to do that, then you're successful. And that doesn't matter if you're making $16,000 a year or $160,000 a year. Love it. My day is not complete without blank. My day is not complete without my husband. I am so madly in love with that man. Uh, I am very blessed to have, I don't want to say I have it all because I've given up things to have an amazing marriage, an amazing successful career. Um, but I am, yeah, my day is not complete without him. I always have blank at my desk. I always have a thousand sticky notes at post-its at my desk. I love post-its. I love to like write myself a note and stick it somewhere else. So I always have a thousand post-its at my desk. 
I love it. I do too. Currently I'm looking at a ton of like sticky notes and everything. So yeah. I, I should just that. buy stock in the post-it <laughs> company. Yeah. Favorite resource, podcast, person, book, something that's had an impact on you that you'd want to share. So one of my favorite resources is actually my state economic development part, uh, department. And so now it's called the department of commerce within my state. And they are a huge resource um, because it's sort of the resource for all resources. You know, they'll tell you where to go and, and who to follow. And then um, I also enjoy Twitter and Facebook. Just, I, just a myriad of people. Like I love to get lots of different opinions from different people. Um, so, but I would probably say my state department of commerce. Um, and I don't think that, I don't think businesses and small businesses, especially tap into that as much as they should. And most departments of commerce or economic development departments, whatever they're called within your state have a whole small business sector and they want to help because they want you to be successful and pay tax dollars. And so they just have a myriad of resources and grants and all those things that I think today people are finding out about them because they're more desperate because of the pandemic going on. But in the past, um, it would have been great if we could rewind two years and I could tell everyone, check out your economic developments, you know, to your chamber, go to those people because there's such a great, I mean, just wealth of knowledge and resources within those organizations. And last one, I am inspired by. I am inspired by others. I'm inspired by others stories, you know, just hearing of what they've overcome. Um, even if they're like, well, I haven't overcome anything. My parents have been married for 30 years and this is what I do. I'm like, no, you did. You've overcome some sort of self-doubt, something. And so I'm extremely inspired by hearing other stories. And that's why, as I told you, I love the Working Girl podcast because I can hear other stories and um, I really... I enjoy that. So I'm inspired by others. Love that. Where can people follow you, your website, book, where can they buy it? So GinaRadkey.com is my website. The book is available anywhere books are sold. Uh, it actually got picked up by the world's largest book distributor. So it's at Barnes and Noble and Target and Amazon is probably the easiest. Everybody seems to buy books from Amazon now. It'll be out on Audible soon. And on Instagram, I'm at Gina Radkey, Twitter at Gina Radkey, and LinkedIn at Gina Radkey. I like to make it simple. Perfect. Love it. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to my interview with Gina. Isn't she amazing? I loved chatting with her. She is awesome. Definitely make sure to follow her and check out her book. For Before We Go, my Friday favorite, I've talked about them before, but I am loving all of these digital summits, digital webinars, and workshops that are happening lately still uh, because of with the pandemic, we can't really do in-person events. And I've been loving the digital format for all of these. So t um, as I'm recording this, today I actually watched um, the virtual summit for Chloe Digital, which is an influencer platform. And it was just awesome. They talked about the state of influencer marketing and how to repurpose content and sales funnels. And it was just awesome and I love that. So there are a few companies that do this regularly. Create and Cultivate has one coming up and they do ones all, they do summits and webinars all the time, especially on IG Live, they are a good one. So there's just like a lot going on. So check your IGTV, check your Instagram stories and lives and see what's going on and just see what's out there because there are so many good 
good ones. I just love it. I have my computer running with the webinar while I'm working. And so I have two screens going and it's awesome. I definitely want to share more about these. So if you have a virtual event coming up that's geared toward working women or you know of one, let me know so I can share it with all of you and share it with the community so we can all be learning together. And lastly, should Working Girl Talk do a little virtual summit, a little training or webinar or something? Let me know because I feel like that would be pretty fun. And if, if if so many of you tell me yes, we'll definitely make it happen. And that is it. If you liked anything from today's episode, make sure to take a screenshot, share it to your Instagram story and tag Working Girl Talk. And let us know what you think of the show. Leave a review. Rate us five stars if you feel so inclined. Copy the link and share with a friend. I am so, so grateful for all each and every one of you listening. Thank you so much. I will talk to you next week.